to move along with it, doesn't it? And I'm, I think I saw, like Eloise Murdoch, moving in ways that weren't suitable for Baptists to move <laughs> as we were singing that song, Scott. So, yeah, absolutely. That was awesome. We appreciate that very much. Uh, this morning is uh, Hayden Blessing's 30th birthday, and uh, he has family here with him. His mother's here, uh, Jamie, along with his grandparents, uh, Jimmy and Linda Hoffman. And uh, so I just want you to extend a special welcome to them. They're right over here on my right, if you would. Now, Brother Jimmy has been a pastor for a hundred years at least. <laughs> I think he was pastoring when he was born and through thick and thin uh, he has been faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus and and so uh, I'm so happy that they're here with this is the first time they've been here uh, even though I've been here for 35 years and the reason is he's always preaching on Sunday somewhere and so I'm grateful they could be here today. One of the ways that he benefited my life was when you're a young college preacher boy, it's not like you have opportunities to preach being shared with you on a regular basis. And he would allow me to come and preach at his church of all places and share the word in his church. So I cut my teeth preaching uh, some Sunday services and then some extended meetings at his church. And... Uh, you know, I, I appreciate him being willing to give me those opportunities and those experiences. And so I imagine the sermons were terrible, uh, but uh, had to start somewhere. The thing that surprised me the mo most, though, is that he gave his son, Bob Hoffman, my dear friend, the opportunity to sing in his church. Now, that was something else that was entirely different. And sometimes we would sing together, him and I. And uh, that was entirely uh, something that was really needing the blessing of the Lord upon it. But each one of us, in our zeal to serve, he gave us opportunities. And I can't tell you how, how valuable that was to me as a college student. This morning, we're in the ninth chapter of Matthew. I've decided to use Matthew's account of this particular story because of one thing that Matthew added to this story that is not included in Luke uh, or in Mark. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 through 13, and I'm going to tell you the story from God's Word, and you can follow along if you want to from that particular passage of Scripture, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Now, this particular story uh, takes place uh, near a village uh, called Capernaum on our map here, and you can see Capernaum here, right? It's right up here around the Sea of Galilee, here's the Dead Sea, here's Jerusalem, and Capernaum's right up here. It's on the northern side of the Tiberias Sea or the Sea of Galilee. And so this particular story takes place there in that small village called Capernaum. Now, Jesus had started his public ministry, but this was early in his public ministry. He hadn't called all of his disciples. And when I say all of his disciples, I'm talking about the 12 men that he called specifically to be with him at all times during the three and a half years of his public ministry. So this is so early in the public ministry of Jesus that he hasn't finalized who's going to be those 12 men. 
And right before this story happens in there in Capernaum, Jesus was performing all kinds of signs and wonders. And one of the signs and wonders that he performed that you may recall was he was ministering and teaching in a particular house. And there were some fellows there who had a friend who was a paralytic and they wanted Jesus to heal him. And so they were trying to get their friend to Jesus, and the crowd was so big, the houses were so small, they couldn't get him in through the front door. So they went up on the roof of the house, and they made a hole in the roof, and then they lowered their friend down in front of Jesus, and he healed a paralytic. So that story happened right before the story that I'm going to tell you today. It starts out by saying in Matthew, it says, and after these things... Well, that was a few of the things that had happened. After these things, Jesus was walking along, and he was either right on the outskirts of the village of Capernaum, uh, or he was actually in town a little bit. We're not exactly sure, but he was right there in the village of Capernaum. He was walking along, and he saw a tax collector whose name is Matthew or Levi. That's synonymous And he saw him sitting there, and he was at his tax office collecting taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up, and he followed Jesus. He left everything behind, and he followed Jesus. Well, after that happened, Matthew decided to host a dinner at his house And he invited all of his good friends. Well, all of his good friends were other tax collectors, notorious sinners. And so he invited Jesus to have dinner, a feast, it says, at his house, with all of these notorious sinners. Well, that upset a group in Israel that were known as the Pharisees. They were a very religious, self-righteous group. And they couldn't believe that Jesus, if he was a righteous man, why in the world was he having dinner with these notorious sinners? And so they began, they were always trying to cast doubt in people's minds about Jesus' identity. And so they began to make accusations against Jesus for doing this. And to all people, they made those accusations to the disciples of Jesus. Well, apparently it was within earshot of Jesus Because Jesus heard what they were saying. And Jesus responded to what they were saying by saying, it's not those who are well who need a doctor or a physician. It is those who are sick. And then he said, you need to understand this. You need to seek to understand this. I I desire, the Father desires mercy. And not sacrifice. And then Jesus went on to say, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, in this series of messages, we're learning about how to be in the corner of those people that are lost. And I want you to see how Jesus got into the corner of Matthew. In this particular story, which ultimately led to Matthew's conversion and salvation. 
The first thing that I want you to understand that Jesus did with Matthew is that in order to reach Matthew with the gospel, Jesus gave Matthew an invitation to learn the truth through relationship. Jesus gave Matthew an invitation when he said, follow me, to learn the truth through relationship. You see, Jesus was known as a rabbi, and many times throughout the gospel accounts when people were talking to him, they called him that, rabbi. Now, what was a rabbi? Well, a rabbi was a Jewish teacher that developed relationship with their disciples, and they trained their disciples in the scripture. And Jesus was not the only rabbi in all of Israel. He was just one of the many rabbis that were identified as rabbis in Israel. And so they would call these people to follow them, and then through relationship with them, they would teach them the scriptures. And it was an honor if you were a Jewish young man, as Matthew was. We, we assume that Matthew was still uh, under the age of 20. He, apparently, he hadn't reached the age to marry, as Peter had. And most all the disciples, we believe, uh, were under the age of 20 when Jesus called them. It was an honor for any young man to learn the scriptures from a rabbi, from a known rabbi. I mean, it was an incredible honor. There wasn't a lot of rabbis, and so you were selected. You were being chosen to be a part of their ministry school is what was happening. Uh, To be chosen by a rabbi at that time in the nation of Israel, it would be like receiving an invitation to attend Harvard today in the United States. It was a tremendous honor. And so that explains a little bit about why Matthew just left everything and followed him, because it was an incredible honor. But by this time, and with all the signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus had performed and the scripture promises that he had fulfilled from the Old Testament, the word was already out there on the street that this guy was the Messiah, or at least many believed that he was the Messiah that the Jews had expected. But I want you to understand that that Jesus reached Matthew with the gospel by giving him an invitation to learn the truth through relationship. The second thing that Jesus did to reach Matthew is that Jesus quickly began to love the people that Matthew loved. He chose Matthew to be a disciple, and then within just a short period of time, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is attending a dinner at Matthew's house with Matthew and his lost friends. And so we see throughout the ministry of Jesus that when Jesus uh, discipled people, you'll quickly find him loving the people that those disciples loved. For example, you remember the story of the Samaritan woman that we did a few weeks ago. He chose the Samaritan woman to be a disciple, revealed to her the truth, and then he spends two days, two whole days with her people in her city loving the people that she cared about the most. Last week we saw how he chose Zacchaeus to be his disciple, and then what does he do? Immediately after he chooses Zacchaeus to reveal the truth to Zacchaeus, then he meets with Zacchaeus in his house with Zacchaeus' friends. He loves the people that Zacchaeus loved. He chose Andrew to be his disciple, and then it's not long after that that he welcomes Andrew's brothers, Peter. He loves the people that Andrew loved. 
He chose Peter to be his disciple, and then Jesus goes into Peter's home here in the town of Capernaum where this actually happened, and what does he do? He loves Peter's mother-in-law, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever that she was experiencing. There was absolutely nothing that Jesus did that gained the trust of his disciples faster than loving the people that his disciples loved. So in order to reach in order to reach Matthew with the gospel, Jesus gave Matthew an invitation to learn the truth through relationship, and then he loved the people that Matthew loved. The third thing that Jesus did in order to reach Matthew with the gospel is that Jesus extended mercy to Matthew when he failed. Remember that he said to those Pharisees, you need to understand this, I, the Father desires mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy. Being a tax collector, Matthew was a notorious sinner. As we saw last week in Zacchaeus' life, he was more than likely a thief like Zacchaeus was, pilfering from those taxes that he collected to make himself rich. But certainly, whether he was a thief or not, he was considered a traitor to the Jewish people by serving the Roman government. And so he was a notorious sinner in the eyes of the Jews. But what did Jesus do? Jesus showed him mercy at the very beginning of their relationship by forgiving Matthew and by choosing him to be his disciple, this notorious sinner. We know from the story that Matthew left everything that he was doing. We saw Zacchaeus repented of his sin, and Zacchaeus, when he repented of his sin, he said he's going to give half of everything that he had to the poor, and anyone that he had defrauded money from, he was going to restore to them fourfold. Well, what we know from Matthew is he just got up and left everything behind. In other words, whatever was sinful about his profession, he gave it up, and he followed Jesus. But we need to understand that this wasn't the only time that Matthew would need mercy. This was just the beginning of the times that Matthew would need mercy. All the disciples of Jesus, all the 12 that he would eventually choose, and Matthew was one of them, all the disciples of Jesus were very, very immature to say the least. In fact, we know that Judas Iscariot even continued to be a thief and a liar and throughout the three and a half years that Jesus was with him, Jesus showed him mercy. Each time his disciples failed, Jesus would forgive them. And they failed a lot. If you read all of the accounts uh, uh, that, and all the stories in the gospel message, those disciples failed a great deal. But every time they failed, Jesus forgave them and he extended mercy to them. Even to the point where at the end uh, of his ministry, you remember, all of the disciples would abandon Jesus. They all left him. They all ran for their lives. And Peter even denied him three times. But Jesus would show Peter mercy. He would forgive Peter. So each time his disciples failed, Jesus forgave them and extended mercy to them. He did not condone what they did. He didn't say, thou, that's, that's okay, that's all right. He didn't condone it and say, hey, everybody fails. No, he didn't condone it. 
But he did show mercy and he forgave them. He told them the truth when they failed. He would speak straight to them when they failed and when they did wrong. But Jesus saw himself as a physician rather than as a judge, church. He saw himself as a doctor rather than a prosecutor. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, he said, when he came, but to save it from condemnation. Now, one day Jesus will return. And anyone who is still condemned because of their sin will remain in that condemnation. But I want you to know right now, Jesus is extending mercy to people. He wants them to receive forgiveness of sin. Jesus did not harbor a grudge against them or reject them as his disciples because they failed. And he had plenty of opportunity to do that with Matthew and all of them. He could have said to them at any point, look, you know what? You've messed up. You've failed. You're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I'm done with you. You're no longer going to be my disciple. No, he spoke the truth to them. And he showed mercy to them. He never gave up on them. He did not allow their failures to determine his faith in them and what they could become in their future. Through the mercy that Jesus showed them, they came to understand the mercy of the Father. And that's what they needed to know more than anything else was the mercy that the Father had toward them in their sins. And so there you have it. To reach, Math, to reach Matthew with the gospel, Jesus extended mercy to him when he failed. So here we have it. Three things that Jesus did. I want you to get it in your minds from this story. Jesus gave Matthew an invitation to learn the truth through relationship with him. Jesus loved the people that Matthew loved, and Jesus extended mercy to Matthew when Matthew failed. And Matthew would go on to receive the gospel and become a person who led many others to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that we believe is that Jesus has not changed. We believe that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we believe that Jesus reaches the Matthews in this world today with the gospel the same way he did when he was here in the flesh. He hasn't changed, church. He is the very same. What has changed, church, is that we, you and I, those of us who have received Jesus, are his flesh now on earth. He calls us the body. We are called by the apostles the body of Christ. In other words, Jesus is not here in his flesh. I want you to understand something, church. He's here in ours. And he has not changed. He is the same. And his strategy to reach the Matthews in this world has not changed. But for that to happen through you this year, 2020, you've got to be willing to cooperate with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You must be willing to do what Jesus did to reach this Matthew with the gospel. Give your Matthews. Give your Matthews an invitation to learn the truth through relationship with you. Love the people that your Matthew loves. And then extend mercy to your Matthews when your Matthews fail. And I want you to know they will fail. Well, how do you do this? Church, how do we do this? Practically, 
How do we do this like Jesus did it? How do we go about giving your Matthew an invitation to learn the truth through relationship with you? Well, Jesus had his way. He was a rabbi. And so he invited Matthew into relationship with him to learn the truth as a rabbi. Uh, Steve Harris calls me bishop, you know, uh, but I am not a rabbi, okay? I am not a rabbi. I don't have that official position in the nation of Israel, and neither do you, all right? So how in the world do we go about inviting people to learn the truth through relationship with us? Well, here's how you do it. You ask your Matthews, whoever they might be, the lost people that you're concerned about, you ask your Matthews to join you for Bible study once a week. That's what you can do. Ask them to join you for Bible study at least once a week, like Jesus invited Matthew to join him. You invite people to join you. Now, I want you to know that for most believers, that sort of terrifies them. Terrifies you for several reasons. One is, is that you don't feel like you're equipped to do Bible study with anybody, which is a lie from hell, by the way. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment, how big of a lie that is. But another reason is you're afraid, you're afraid somebody will say no. <laughs> We're afraid they'll reject us and say no. And so out of the fear of man or the fear of our own inabilities, we become immobilized, and we don't invite people to join us, those who don't know Jesus, in a Bible study where they can begin to learn the truth in relationship with us. Well, we'll talk more about uh, how God has spiritually equipped you, but the question that comes to mind for many of us is, you know, what are you going to use for Bible study? Now, what we need to understand, and I'm speaking straight to our church here at Western Hills today, because I'm trying to move many of you off-center and get you connected to those who need your connection in the, in, during this year. The small group ministry is the most important ministry that we have in our church at Western Hills. We call it the engine that drives our church. And so just we do this on a regular basis. Uh, to let our guests know how many of us are involved in small groups in our church. If you're in a small group right now, would you raise your hand if you're in a small group right here? All right. You would see that that's most of us. And the truth is we actually have more people in small groups at Western Hills than we do people that attend on Sunday morning. I would say we have 20 to 30 or maybe 40% more people that attend small groups at Western Hills uh, throughout our city than we do then attend here on Sunday morning. And so our small group ministry is the engine that drives all the other ministries of our church. Now Jesus was a member of a small group and he invited Matthew to join his small group. The early church exploded in Jerusalem at Pentecost and the apostles immediately divided the people into small groups. They not only met at the temple every day at that time in Jerusalem, but they met, it says, from house to house. And we're talking about dividing over 3,000 new converts into small groups. As the church spread out from Jerusalem into Samaria and the other parts of the world, the leaders of the church divided the members into small groups with leaders that met in homes. Now, why is it so important for the church to be in small groups. 
Oh, you know the answer to that if you've been around here for very long. It's only in small groups that everyone has the opportunity to be the church. Church is not something that we attend. It's not a service that we attend. Church is not a building that we meet in. (laughs) You and I are the church. We are the church. And each of us has a vital role in the body of Christ. And it's only in small groups that everyone has an opportunity to get out of the stands and into the game and be the church. It can only happen in small groups. There are people serving this morning, a limited number of people that can serve every Sunday morning us, but only in small groups can everyone participate in what it means to be the church. The church of Jesus cannot fulfill Jesus' command to love one another without small groups. It's the way that it is. And so Jesus knew that. He established a model for all of us to follow by forming his own small group. He didn't have to do that. Jesus could have conducted services once a week for everyone and not chosen 12 guys to be in a small group with him. He could have conducted seminars and conferences and invited people and just met with people in mass numbers all of the time and just preached all the time. But no, Jesus understood what needed to happen, uh, not just for him and those 12 guys, but also for the future of his church. So small groups are vitally important to our church. My wife Sandra and I lead a small group in Edmond. We currently have 11 members in our small group. And if you're in the northwest side, we invite you to come, be a part of our small group there that meets every week, every Monday night. And not only that, but we also connect with each other throughout the week, and we journey through life with one another. But it's critical to our mission, if you're in a small group, and most of you are, to understand that the reason we study the Bible, the way we study it in small group, has a real definite purpose. If you've never been to our small groups, you really can't understand or relate to what I'm saying. But what happens in small group is that uh, someone in the group will tell the Bible story they've been assigned for that week. And uh, the the story will be rebuilt by the group. The story will be read from the scripture. And then very, very specific questions will be asked about the story that will teach the group about us as people, some of our deficiencies, some of our strengths as people, as human beings, but also will teach us about God and what he is and what he's like and who he wants to be to us. And then there'll be some very specific questions that will be asked for personal application that will cause us to act out the truth uh, in our heart and then in our hands. Now, but listen to me. There's a reason why we do that. It's simple. It is very simple. You don't have to be educated to do Bible study that way. You don't have to be a scholar to lead others in Bible study that way. You don't have to be, have gone to college and got a degree or gone to seminary to do Bible study that way. Anybody, anybody can do Bible study that way. And what I want you to understand, church, this morning is that our small groups are not the final destination for our members. Absolutely not. I mean, if all we're doing is gathering people together in small groups and they're going to sit in that group until they die... We have failed to understand what our mission is. Our small groups are a launching pad for our members to be equipped to do Bible study with the Matthews of this world. 
And if you've been in small group very long at all, you are equipped to do Bible study and lead people to an understanding of the truth through a relationship with you. That's why we do it the way that we do it. Yes, it has other benefits as far as in a group setting, how it gets everybody involved, and everybody enjoys being involved for the most part. But the main reason is you're equipped. You're equipped to go do that. Our small groups are the means we use to equip our members to do evangelism, to do Bible study with others that don't know Jesus. Last couple of weeks ago, we heard an example of what we're about from our dear friends, uh, Arnolfo and Dahlia. If you weren't here for the story, it's incredible. Uh, they came to Christ through the ministry of our church. Uh, it's really one family member to another to another. They've, they've both been baptized here. And they told the story of how over the Christmas break, they went to Mexico to visit his parents. And while they were there, what did they do? They asked them, they invited them to have Bible study with them. And what did they use for their method for Bible study? Well, they used the method for Bible study that they'd been equipped with in their small group. And what was the result of that, church? Well, <laughs> yeah, here's what the result was. Arnulfo's father and mother came to Jesus Christ. Is what happened because they were willing... They were willing to take how they'd been equipped here and just go there and use it. Wasn't complicated. It's simple. You know what Dahlia said to me? She said, you know what? We've gone to see his family now in Mexico. I can't wait to go to California to see my family. And you know what they're going to do there? They're going to do Bible study there with those who will join them. And they're going to see what the Holy Spirit will do with the Matthews in their life by inviting them to learn the truth in relationship with them. One of the fellows that I have been meeting with now for a number of years who has learned this method to Bible study is Thomas Hill, Tom and Kay's son. And uh, I told him at the very beginning, look, if it's just you and I meeting, I'm not interested in that. I said, I'm going to teach you how to disciple other people, and it's not complicated. Now, Thomas is an incredible teacher. I mean, he is a scholar of the scriptures and he can stand before you and he can deliver a better sermon that I can deliver and he understands the Bible and in, in incredible ways because of all of the research and study that he's done but he latched on to this method because he realized that the fellows that he wanted to work with were not like him they didn't they couldn't do what he did and he needed a reproducible way that they could use to go and make disciples themselves. And so he began to use this method with others. And one of the groups that he began to use it with is a group of recovering addicts from a sober living house here in Oklahoma City. And he meets with them. He meets with them every Monday night. Has been doing that now for several years. And he's equipped many of them to make disciples by being in that group. And one of the things that he shared with me recently is that he had a person in his group that was relatively new, and he asked the fellow to tell the story on one particular week. And he sent him our curriculum guide that we use for our groups, for our Bible studies in our groups. Well, the fellow got the curriculum guide, and I want you to know Thomas said that he didn't stop 
when he finished telling the story. He just kept going. He kept going. And Thomas was just sitting there delighting in the fact that this fellow who hadn't been in group but a few weeks was using that Bible study method to, use ev- to lead everyone else to learn the truth through relationship. This last week, I got a prayer request along with a number of others that are on his prayer team from my son Josh. And my son Josh was thanking everyone for the prayers. And then he said, being very transparent, he said it's been a rough month at work, opportunity-wise. He works in finance for a car dealership. He said, I would love the Lord to bless me with some chances to make money this month. He said, I would appreciate your prayers for that. But then he said, I led our first Bible study of the semester at our car dealership. I'm just walking them through the discipleship group guide called In Your Corner from Western Hills. It was new for most people to go through something like that, but we had some really good openness in our first meeting. We already have 20 plus people there, including the owners, praying that we can multiply pretty quickly into multiple small groups at work. I need God to bless that vision and raise up leaders and others willing to buy into small group discipleship. So praise and prayer for all that request. Would you pray for that? Isn't that incredible? I mean, Josh has his law degree. He's one of the most intelligent people I know. But he understands the need to do Bible study with people in a way that's not complicated if they're going to reproduce it and go out and do it with all the other Matthews in the world. Folks, you've been equipped. You've been equipped. Some of you have been sitting in group now for months and months and months. It's time for you to take what you've been equipped to do and go find a Matthew and say, Hey, would you like to meet for Bible study once a week? And just use what you've been equipped to do one person at a time. You know, you may say, Well, you know what? I'm not comfortable eating yet. Well, okay. You can just invite lost people to your small group. Let me ask you, how effective has that been, Western Hills? How many people have we seen come to Christ by you just inviting lost people into your small group? Hasn't worked very well, has it? There's a couple of reasons why it doesn't work as well as you going out and just meeting with someone one-on-one and using what you've been trained to do in small group. It limits, and just inviting people to small group, it limits the breadth and depth of your outreach to the lost. First of all, how often does your small group meet each week? Well, it only meets once a week at a particular time every week. So that means for them to come to your small group, they've got to be available during that time. You see, Jesus did not host a once a week meeting time to make disciples. He didn't do that. He didn't say, Matthew, I meet every Monday night, If you want to hear the truth, come on Monday night. Matthew may have said, well, I've got a business meeting on Monday night. I can't come. (laughs) That's not what Jesus did. This would have severely limited the breadth of his outreach if Jesus would have operated that way. What Jesus did is that he adjusted his life to be with those who were lost. That's what he did. If you're going to be effective to reaching others, you've got to be willing to adjust your life to meet with your Matthews, whoever they are. Jesus did it. 
And what this, what, if you have that willingness to adjust, this increases the breadth of your outreach. You're not dependent on one night a week to get people to hear the truth. Secondly, if you choose to invite people only to group, your small group cannot be as relational for the lost as meeting with you one-to-one once a week. That's the depth that's limited. I mean, in all of our groups, our groups are very transparent. We encourage that in our groups, but many times we have within our group both male and female. And I want you to understand in group there's a limitation to how open and honest the females can be and how open and honest the males can be. But that's not true when you're meeting with someone one-to-one. They can be more transparent, more open, more honest. It increases the depth of your ministry. It gives you more time to answer their questions. The truth is we're never going to be very effective reaching the lost until we're willing to invite people to learn the truth with us through our relationship with them. All they can say is no. If they say no, you know what you do? You just go ask somebody else, right? If you can't think of anyone that you already have relationship with that is lost, just do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He just invited total strangers to join him for Bible study. All they could say was no, right? That's all they could say. You can go door to door in your neighborhood until you find a neighbor that's willing to join you in a Bible study once a week. You can ask a waiter or a waitress to join you for a Bible study once a week. You can ask your hairdresser person who cuts your hair, the person at Starbucks that you see there all the time, you can ask a co-worker. If your Matthew says yes, and if you're faithful to meet each week for Bible study, I can tell you what's going to happen. As you share relationship and the truth each week through the Bible study that we're doing, the Holy Spirit will do his part, and he will draw your Matthew to Jesus. Now, I didn't say they would come to Jesus. I don't know who's going to come, who's not going to come. But I want you to know as you share the truth and share relationship and you love them and you love the people that they love, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is going to work in their heart and in their life. To reach others with the gospel, we must give your Matthew an invitation to learn the truth through a Bible study with you. That's the most difficult one. The next one, the next one, love the people your Matthew loves. Love the people that your Matthew loves, like Jesus did. As you develop relationship with your Matthew, love the people they love. This is just being relational, isn't it? When you love the people that other people love, find out what your Matthew's loved ones are going through and do what you can to help meet their needs. That's loving them. You can always start with just praying with your Matthew about their loved ones. As you get to know them, you're going to ask them the question, you know, what's going on with your family? What's going on with your friend? They're going to tell you. And there's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. And you can love them by praying with them about those struggles that their family members are going through. You can visit your Matthew's loved ones and pray with them. As they have needs, you can meet their temporal needs. When you can, you can't always meet people's temporal needs. But when you can, you can meet their temporal needs. This is what Jesus did. And he hasn't changed, folks. He's just living in a different body. And we are the body of Christ. But you've got to love the people your Matthew loves if you're going to reach them with the gospel. And then extend mercy to your Matthews when they fail. All of these are hard for different reasons. One of the reasons why this one is hard is that church, we're so judgmental. We're so judgmental when it comes to people's failures. We're more like the Pharisees many times than we are like Jesus was. I can't have dinner with them. 
I mean, they are notorious sinners. You know, I can't have dinner with them. If I have dinner with them, they might use bad language. If I have dinner with them and participate with them, they might do something else that's wrong. Like I said, Jesus didn't condone what they did that was wrong. He would speak the truth. But Jesus showed mercy to those who were lost. You know, Jesus met with Matthew for three and a half years before Matthew really understood the gospel and was born again in the Spirit of God. None of those disciples fully understood the gospel until after Jesus rose from the dead. Then they understood it. Countless times, Jesus showed them mercy when they failed, over and over again. He told them the truth, but he never abandoned them. They had the freedom to abandon him, and all of them did, but he never abandoned them. If you're going to reach people with the gospel, you must extend mercy to your Matthew when they fail. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, And I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know what that verse tells us, church? It tells us that Jesus expected his church to be this incredible force that actually stormed the gates of hell to rescue those who were lost. This is not a defense verse. This is an attack verse. You and I should be storming the gates of hell to rescue those who were lost. He expected this to happen in Matthew 16, 18 because he promised that he would be in each member of his church and he would accomplish his mission through them. Jesus promised his uh, people in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to, be, to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the truth is, in our nation, we've heard this many times now over the last few years, we've talked about it, we've prayed about it. In our nation, instead of winning, the church has been declining if things continue as they are now in the church in the United States, most Christians alive in this generation will never win anyone to Jesus. You see, Jesus has not changed. Jesus has not changed his strategy. We've changed. We have adopted a strategy for reaching the lost that we think we have a better idea than what Jesus had. We've adopted a strategy that may work for certain individuals in the church. I mean, Brother Stephen, go into prisons and preach the gospel. I can go to summer basketball camps and preach the gospel. Many of you can go other places and preach the gospel, and people respond. We see people saved. But I want you to know, this is the way for every member to preach the gospel. Every one of us here can reach other people this way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has not changed. question is, will we follow Jesus? Will we really follow Jesus? Does it cost to follow Jesus? Well, certainly. If you're going to be available to people that are lost and do Bible study with them, it's going to cost you, right? It's going to cost you uh, your time. It's going to cost you perhaps materially. It's going to cost, it's going to cost uh, emotionally because you're going to become burdened with those people if you, if you start loving them. You start caring for them. You know, I wish I could say, well, everybody that you meet with, they're going to change overnight. Three and a half years, what Jesus did. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know if they'll ever change. But I know you're going to bear their burdens emotionally. Yes, there's a tremendous cost 
to reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's why Jesus said that we are to take up his cross and follow after him. No, we don't redeem ourselves from a sin, our sins. Our cross is not able to do that. But his cross did that for us. But yes, there is suffering in following Jesus. There is inconvenience. There is sacrifice. The question is, will you follow Jesus this year to reach your Matthews with the gospel of Jesus Christ? This morning, we're going to end the service. For those of us that are members at Western Hills and been here for a while, you understand what this is? This magnet here, you should have received one when you came in. And if you don't have one right now, would you raise your hand if you don't have one of these? And people will bring them to you. So keep your hand up until you get one. And right now, as fast as possible, I've got people that are passing out these. And they're also going to pass out a marker. A marker. Keep your hand up if you would. Until you get one of these and until you get a marker. Still see some hands up. If, guys, if you'll make sure everybody gets one of these and a marker. Keep your hand up if you don't have one. If you don't have this or if you don't have a marker, keep your hand up. I think we got enough markers for everybody. Now we can use those markers again, so don't steal them. All right. You can leave them over there on the table when you're done. All right. This is our... Jesus name board and this magnet here on the orange side goes your name on the orange side goes your name and on the black side goes the names of lost people that you're praying to be saved huh on the front side goes Vicky Apple or you want to you don't want to be known just put Vicky or if you really want to be saved just put VA Okay, it doesn't matter. All right. And then on the back side here goes the names of those that you're praying for to be saved in 2020. And you can put as many names as you need to on this. You can put one name. You can put five names on here. People that you're praying for to be saved in 2020. Now, what's going to happen beginning next week is that we're going to take these names off the name wall and we're going to be praying for them in our services, at the end of our service. What? Yeah, don't write in cursive or French. All right? <laughs> Print, if you would, as clear as possible so that we can understand them. But you're going to put your name here and the names of the people that you want to be saved on the backside, okay? And in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come up. And if you can't make it up, you can have someone do it for you. And I'm going to have you put the name with the orange side out on the name board right here, okay? That's what I'm going to ask you to do. And for the weeks to come, we're going to be praying for these folks in our church services for them to be saved.
is what we're going to do. But here's what I want you to do that's different this year. I want you to write down the names of the people that you're going to be praying for to be saved this year. And if there's one or more of them that you're willing to invite into a Bible study with you, then I want you to put a star by it. A star by it. Okay? If there's one or more that you're willing to invite to join you. I'm not saying come to your group. You can invite them to come to your group. That's fine. But you're going to invite them to join you in a Bible study. Using what method? What we use in our groups. That's all we're asking you to do. It's simple. It's not complicated. God will work through it. Put a star by that name. Now, you can put up here more than one of these. If you need five of these because you've got 50 names that you need to put on these, then fill, five, fill those out as well. So we're going to be praying over these names, but we're adding something this year. That star means that you're going to put feet to your prayers. And you're going to go invite that person to join you in a Bible study. Using the method, the strategy that we use. The ones that Arnolfo and Dahlia used successfully in Mexico. Okay? Now certainly, we want to help you in any way we can with the resources. You have about five years of Bible studies online that you can print and use for with anyone. We got them all there, free, free of charge for you to use. You got more than enough resource to do that, okay? All right, so I'm giving you a chance right now. Write those names on there. Write those names on there. I'm going to ask Scott if he would come forward and play here for a few minutes. Put your name on the front. Put your name on the front. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together. We're going to stand together. And when you're ready, you just come forward and put your name on the name board. Would you do that? Well, Scott's playing. If you're a guest here and you want us to pray over people in your family... Come on up. Put them up there. We'll be glad to pray over them this year. Pray for them to come to know Jesus. If you're not sure if someone knows Jesus or not, put their name on there. God knows. God will honor your prayers for them, whether they know Jesus or not. 